0: I tell every team that I ever work with, regardless of if it's at Facebook, if it's a startup down the street, I always say, let's research together. I've never seen impactful research done in a silo, in a vacuum. So I always say, let's research together. I have my process going from like aligning on what to study, planning a study, collecting analysis, reporting. And in each one of those phases, I have multiple strategies to get stakeholders involved. The more, the closer they get to that direct research process I have found, the more value everyone gets. And the minute you get them into the process and that light bulb goes off like, okay, why in the heck are we not talking to people? Why are we not already doing this as like a regular part of our product DNA? Then the next time you want to do a study, it's so much easier.
1: Very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast brought to you by Researchable UX, It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm gonna be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. In this episode of Understanding Users, Varun discusses the important role quantitative research can play in product design, he shares his views on the potential pitfalls of UX boot camps, and he takes me through the birth of Fruitful a brand new online resource kit for digital teams wanting to do better, faster, and more effective research with their users. He also plays my three-card challenge to share his favorite UX tool, favored technique, and a trend he sees in the future. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Oh yeah, just one more thing before we get started. There are 30 discount codes available to listeners of this podcast for the full suite of online fruitful research guides and handbooks. Simply use the discount code GREENUX20, that's G-R-E-E-N-U-X-20, when you check out using Stripe to get 20% off the full suite of fruitful resources. That's 20% off access to fruitful for the first 30 people to redeem the code. Now, on with the interview. So my guest today is Varun Murugesan, who's Principal Researcher at Apple and Banana in the U.S., uh, and he's author and editor of Fruitful as well, which is quite a nifty little UX research library, which we'll come on to talking about, I'm sure, in, in, in a minute. He's talking to me all the way from uh, Minneapolis. And actually, Vara I realized that in all the episodes I've done, we have talked to somebody in Australia, I've talked to somebody in Canada, I've talked to somebody in Singapore, but you're the first person in the US. So you're my first American guest, so welcome.
0: woo We did it. Exotic. Minneapolis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about... Uh, your role or your roles, plural, at the moment, uh, and, and kind of what you're up to.
0: Yeah, I am the principal researcher slash ex-head of research, but we're a four three-person team, so head of research doesn't really have that much weight. Uh, today, at, uh, right now at Apple and Banana, where our goal is to uh, ex- educate and excite the next wave of researchers. There's a lot of smart people doing a lot of cool things. We're thinking about the future, how do we push the community forward? And so we also do small-scale uh, uh, consulting with startups. I'm working with uh, a Norwegian consultancy, uh right, startup t- right now. It's using sentiment analysis, text analysis, helping them with uh, figuring out what does their UI look like? Why are you doing certain kind of patterns and behaviors within the product itself? So it's been really fun. And we do a ton of writing on LinkedIn, as well as Maintaining Fruitful, which is a UX research library and toolkit that you mentioned that I'm sure will uh, you have more questions uh, about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got quite a quite. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile just before we talked and you've got some quite kind of heavy hitting names in there. I think you work for Meta or for Facebook as was, is that right? And various other kind of quite big organizations in the last few years. Mm-hmm.
0: My track record working at big companies, I always get confused because I've worked at Facebook, which is the world's largest social media. I've worked at United Health Group, which is the world's, at least in the U.S., the world's, like the U.S.'s largest healthcare uh, insurance provider. And then at Best Buy, I just left in May. That is the one of the world's largest technology retailers. So it's nice to be at Apple Banana because it's a three-person team. Uh, we're all family, so we know each other, which is pretty good. And to work with smaller companies for more impact, faster duration. But yeah, Facebook was definitely fun. Best Buy was fun. United Health Group was fun in different ways. So it's been a fun career.
1: That, that's great. And just taking a step back, Varen, kind of how did you get into digital? Because I, I mean, I've asked this question from pretty much all my guests and, and it, there's always, a, you know, a, a, an interesting and varied and sometimes circuitous kind of route in. What, what got you into digital and, and what's your path been?
0: Yeah, I graduated uh, a few years ago, 2016, and I went jumped into right into healthcare because I was in a clinical um research coordinator position in undergrad at the local uh, at the psychiatric ward, which is super awesome, healthcare, looking at experimentation. I was not a, a psychologist or a doctor, so I was not able to directly interact with patients, but setting up studies, designing recruitment, blood samples, things like that, logistics, really got me excited about research. So then after I graduated with a degree in psychology and a minor in statistics, I was like, healthcare, that's where you go. You want to help people. That's where you go. And so I jumped into the right job, right job, first job uh, given to me. It was a far, I was a fraud, waste, and abuse analyst at a pharmaceutical benefits manager. If you got bored listening to that, imagine doing that. So I was like, this is not where I want to be. A lot of spreadsheets. So then I became a data analyst at a big, even bigger company because I thought size. And then United Health Group has millions of members, and I was so frustrated. Because I really like healthcare, I like the interactions, I like what healthcare represents. But then at United Health Group, everybody was a spreadsheet—a one or a zero, a column, a row—and I felt so disheartened. So then in 2016, at the end of the year, I went to Google and typed in the three things I was actually interested in. So that first year after school was like great to be like, I don't care about any of this. This is what I'm interested in. I typed in psychology, technology, and design into Google. clicked the like the seventh link, user experience. Read like 30 articles that night. And then I was like, you know what? This looks interesting. I'm going to try to pivot and get into it. I found myself a mentor, started testing things at work and started to build a portfolio, networking, then eventually landed at Best Buy as the third researcher on the retail team on contract. And then from there, moved on to Facebook and things like that. So firm frustration. (laughs) And then thank you, Google and Medium. Then uh, five and a half years later, we are here uh, where we are.
1: That's great. And that's not a long time, actually. I mean, I suppose it's a long time in technology terms, but in career terms, you know, to have done all that in five years. And you know, kudos to you. That's great. Thank you. <laughs>
0: uh, and none, none of it makes sense looking forward. But looking back, you're like, of course, then I did this. And then this thing ladders to this. And you're like, uh-uh, like psychology, statistics. I picked those because it was interesting. Now I'm looking at like profession, like this career. And I'm like, this is actually very, <laughs> very apropos. And very useful and i was like i did not know what ux was at that time so looking backwards yep a lot of smart moves
1: it's funny one of my favorite quotes is uh most careers are lived forwards and understood backwards and i think it's absolutely true i'm the same you kind of just move and you make decisions at the time which aren't always clear to you and it's only in retrospect you're like oh that's why i did that and sometimes it's just pure I luck. like that but, quote uh, <laughs> yeah that's great so it's so, pure luck <laughs> Coming back to the present, then talk me through a kind of typical day for you, Varen. What, what does it look like, you and your team?
0: Yeah, right now, it is very different than if you'd asked me two months ago, because we just published our book, and I spent the last two years working on that. I left Best Buy in May, so I can just focus and get it on uh, out the door. So right now, a lot more free time. I'm continuing to develop my own skills with advanced like data science, statistics, uh, getting even sharper because I would I consider myself a qual dominant mixed methods researcher, not just throwing surveys, but running factor analysis, regression analysis, building better like psychological measurements, psychometrics, and things like that. Um, so right now, I have a bunch more free time. I'm consulting with like some startups right now, which has been nice, smaller uh, team. But right now, uh, I'm just excited to like read and consume more content. I'm interested in more data science, so maybe we'll have the time right now between jobs, between roles, to kind of dig deeper into that. So, if people want to reach out, if people want to go on more podcasts, if people want to hang out one-on-one, I am more than open—at uh, least for right now—to engage and learn from the uh, community.
1: There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's great. And and how do you, in terms of kind of working with product teams, how do you work uh, as a researcher, as a kind of digital specialist, with other members of product teams? So I'm, you know, developers, obviously, you know, policy folks, product folks, um, all of those other kind of non-UX specific disciplines.
0: I tell every team that I ever work with, regardless of if it's at Facebook, if it's a startup down the street, I always say, let's research together. I've never seen impactful research done in a silo in a vacuum. Hey, I'm Varun. I'm really super smart. You hire me. I'm going to get some data somehow. I'm going to run off into the darkness, do some sort of now analytical magic. Ooh, come back with some, like a hundred page deck and wow, I'm so smart. You should hire me. I'm amazing. I have never liked that kind of research. I've never been excited about that kind of way of working. So I say, let's research together. I have my process going from like aligning on what to study, planning a study, collecting, analysis, reporting. And in each one of those phases, I have multiple strategies to get stakeholders involved. The more, the closer they get to that direct research process I have found, the more value everyone gets. And the minute you get them into the process and that light bulb goes off, like, okay, why in the heck are we not talking to people? Why are we not already doing this as like a regular part of our product DNA? Then the next time you want to do a study, it's so much easier. Like, Varun, that was so fun last time. We got to go do this. I heard that live, like the button's right there. Why the hell aren't they clicking it? And then the next time they're like, I want to be involved. Okay. Can I help maybe do an interview? And we're like, whoa, 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 slow down. I love where the enthusiasm is, but let's start to build this together. So my process, always collaboration. And then right under that, transparency. I don't want to hide anything. I don't want to fudge any data. I don't want to say this is inaccessible. If I can have you listen in without maybe the participant knowing, I'm like, I don't know if I like that. Let Let's let the participant know this is their data. They're giving us their time and they're gracious enough. So I want to be very transparent throughout my entire process. Collaboration transparency, if you get those together, I have found pretty much an accelerator for getting people excited about research, not just once, but then like, let's do it again. Let's think about qualitative, quantitative, triangulation, things like that.
1: That that yeah, I, I absolutely concur. There's the, the GDS, which uh, I kind of refer to sometimes on this podcast, and I've, a number of guests have spoken to me about it. Is the Government Digital Service, and it's it's the kind of centre of digital excellence really for for all UK government services. And there's a great quote that is often I've seen it in walls all over kind of ministries in London. Uh, User research is a team sport, and I think it's absolutely spot on. Exactly like you say, you know, this sort of siloed research go off and do it in your own time is just just it's much better if you bring everyone with you. Uh, And you can kind of engage them. I mean, in terms of what you uh, produce on the back of your research, to use that dreadful word, deliverables, what kind of artifacts or do you not do you kind of keep away from that kind of stuff in terms of sharing those insights for people who haven't been on the journey with you?
0: This is one of those UX questions where people say it depends. And then my, my brain always asks, even if I'm listening to a podcast or reading something and someone says, it's UX, it depends. My next question is, depends on what? What are the variables? Don't just say it depends. That's a catch-all. What does it depend on? And for me, it really depends on like research maturity. Do they really? Do they understand what research is? If they really do, I'm going for a shorter deliverable, an enhanced one pager, a couple of like nicely well-written bullet points in an email that might suffice. But if it's low research maturity, I might have to pull out all the stops, make like a fifty-page deck. I'm not a big fan of making PowerPoint presentations. But it does work. I can present it. I can share it. I can build a story. They might need something lower. So it really depends on maturity of the uh, like the culture and where you're working. And also the type of research. If you're doing tactical research, red versus blue, can people touch this button, right? Or is this the right menu options versus strategic? What does the future of uh, autonomous vehicles look like? How does healthcare transform how people interact one-on-one? How do we think about COVID now? Like safety precautions, how does that change large-scale games or whatever, right? Sporting events, strategic. I'll probably make something meatier, right? Because you can use those findings for longer. If it's on red versus blue, they care about speed. They want to implement. Everyone, that's great research. Let's get it out the door tomorrow, and let's see if it fails on Friday so we can make changes on Monday. Keep it short. Keep it lightweight. Enrich that data. I love that phrase. Put a video in there. Put media in there. Put a picture of the stakeholder taking notes in the session. The coolest thing I've ever found is if you put pictures of your stakeholders doing research in front of other stakeholders that did not do that research, they're coming to the teach out, They're like, why the heck does Bill get to go? I want to do this. Why is Bill getting? He's laughing. He's smart. I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm smart. Let me do it. Okay, fine. Let's get you brought in on the next one. And then Bill... Whoever did the research first can be a champion or like a, a person or a friend to this person. Hey, here's what I found when I was doing it. And it's a very fun uh, experience. So it really depends on culture, the type of research. So
1: it's leveraging uh, that kind of FOMO, isn't it? Where, uh, like you say, uh, I, I want to be involved as well. <laughs> yes. And,
0: and what about... <laughs> but in a, positive way, in a yes. positive
1: way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. What about difficult... Or unpleasant or unwelcome insights and i was talking about this with a a friend the other day kind of if if what you're uncovering as you do user research you and your team is perhaps let's say less than welcome to the product team or to the business how do you handle that because that's a perennial challenge isn't it i agree
0: it is the whole bad side or like negative right one of the things i write about in fruitful which is our which is our library and toolkit um research can hurt If you had an amazing in-the-shower eureka moment or your kid did something and you're like, oh, my God, that unsolves this problem that we have. And you test it and people are like, I hate that feature. It absolutely sucks. What are you guys doing? That can hurt, right? So you really want to – there's a fine line between being objective and being respectful with your research. And that, to me, really comes down to stakeholder relationships. In the past where you've done – where I've done research, like I'm in the woods, I'm doing something coming back – I give bad findings. They're like, I don't know. It's a small sample size. Can we trust this? You know, I believe in my gut. And you're fighting a very different battle. But if I'm having regular one-on-one interactions, tell me, Mike, how was how was your kid, weekend? How was the barbecue, right? I'm building a relationship. I really want to position myself as a partner, not as an expert. Expert means I'm omnipotent. I'm, I can see the truth. This is the truth. I interview one person. I can change a billion-dollar company. It's like, I'm not an expert. I'm good at research, but I'm not an expert on product design. So I'm like, I want to be a partner. So by the time I do see like negative, scary, uh, hostile type findings, I've already built a bridge. And then instead of it being negative, it's being like, I'm going to frame it as an opportunity. We did test your idea, Mike. Yes, people saw what we were going for, but we believe there's based on research an opportunity to pivot out of this into something else. And then boom, I always akin into like discovering fire before we competitors do. We are wrong now, great. Our competitors might never test. They might never be wrong until after they release. We have now opportunities to grow, and then people are like, "Okay, I trust Baroon. I felt collaboration. I felt transparency in this research process, and he's framed as an opportunity." Okay, fine. Let's maybe do another round of research. Maybe let's think about something else. Let's pivot from this idea instead of you talk to ten people. What do you mean they don't like it? So it's it really does depend. I would, and a lot of things I feel like people don't talk about in-between research that's where a lot of this happens not just i'm interviewing looking at survey data it's the day-to-day interactions that really drive a lot of impact
1: mm-hmm. and in terms of product teams keeping users in mind when they're building their products and services how i mean you touched on this a little bit but how how do teams ensure that they they're always kind of considering the user
0: ask questions I have found that, especially if you're new, that's my life hack. If you're at a new company, you've started it, and I would consider new, like, maybe three to six months. That's maybe enough time to start figuring out what's happening, but not enough to be effective. Hey, why do we do that? Why do we make money that way? (laughs) Right? Like, why does this data get sent there? Why does that team not get involved? I'm the new guy. I don't know anything about internal politics. So always asking questions about how things are done. Hey, what data do we have to support? right? Little questions like that. And then as you start to build your kind of relationships wherever you are, you can start to pull in. Hey, Mike, why did we do that? Actually, we ran a survey last week, pretty solid sample size. We randomly sampled. We know who these participants were. We found something like this. Maybe you want to sit down with me or maybe, hey, invite me to one of your design critiques. Can we discuss research and design together instead of in isolation? And with product folks, let's take a look at the roadmap, right? What on this roadmap really makes you nervous? They're like, oh my God. There's so much on this makes me nervous. Okay, let's see about like what we can prioritize. And you're having these conversations. So it's never just, I'm going to do a study. It's always con- uh, contextual. It's always nested within what is important to this company, how we
1: work. Mm. And you talked about maturity earlier, Varun. Uh, I'm interested to know kind of generally, are you finding the organizations you're working with uh, maturity levels of UX are increasing or are you still finding like, lots of pockets of, of people who are cynical and, and suspicious and unwilling to pay for research or you know user experience? I think it's interesting.
0: I think you have to be a certain level of maturity to maybe reach out to someone, to even recognize, hey, we have a problem. The house is on fire. We need a firefighter, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I will say with startups now, because UX is becoming a little bit more grounded, they're having some pretty good design because they know they cannot get funding. They can't get the eyes in the app store. They can't get the website to be looked at if it doesn't look a little sexy, if it doesn't look cool. But I think what they may realize is like, sexy and cool is one thing, usable, functional, accessible, responsive. (laughs) Performant, right? It's not even fast. It doesn't load well. It doesn't scale well. That is a different issue. And so I found like there are pockets, but I think as an industry, we are growing. People are like, hey, that looked cool. And I'm doing something similar. Let me copy that. And I think copying is fine right now, imitation, but that's not contextualized the way that this product needs to work. This type of these groups of people. But I think overall things are improving. But then again, you find some random site like a Mon pause Pizza Shop down the street with the worst. Like you can't pay for it. The pay button is hidden underneath somehow. You can't get it, so it makes you frustrated. But it's like there. I think we're evolving and growing as a field. As more and more great podcasts like this get out, more and more writing, more and more speaking.
1: That's interesting. Is there not a danger though? uh of kind of homogeneity i I know what you're saying about people are kind of copying each other but what i find that very often is that so many you know in certain verticals you go to a a website and it kind of looks almost exactly the same as its competitors and the colors are different the logo is different but it's almost like it's kind of cookie cutter and you're ending up with these very generic you know single long pages with uh Mm -hmm. image text side by side and then it's flipped on the, you know i I don't know is that a what, what do you think about that
0: that to me i don't know if that's a ux problem as much as like a business problem yeah right you clearly do not prioritize innovation differentiation in an already saturated market yeah i can test all day but you have to have the gumption and like the ball uh, the guts to be like hey we're going to go for something different we're financial sector sure but we're using green instead of blue or whatever that to me is like a design which i agree but then the business ultimately has to say but sometimes you're like, let's just make a green Facebook, and you're like, why? None of our pro- we don't do anything like. It. Let's make a red. Let's make a blue Netflix. What? Like, I don't get that thinking. But that to me is a business.
1: Yeah, yeah. and those kind of heart sinking moments where I've been in meetings, people say, can you make it look like Apple? Or can you make it look more like Google? Or can you make it look more like Facebook? And you're just like,
0: <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Follow up question: Can you pay me like I work at Apple? Well. <laughs> Well, well, this is different now. It changed.
1: Well, that killer question, can you make it pop, which is just the most ridiculous question. (laughs) What
0: What does that mean? What what does that mean? Can you make it this thing? I saw this thing. I'm like, we don't work in that vertical. We have none of the core metrics right there. Our user base, the people that actually use it in the maybe hundreds of thousands, not billions, there's nothing synonymous about copying this. I always think about if my stakeholders ever ask, because they have asked implicitly in small ways, little ways, Hey, LeBron James is one of the best basketball players in the world in in history. I'm not saying he's the goat. That's another that's another discussion. But why don't I go buy his shoes, eat his meal plan, and work out eight hours a day? It'll never happen for me, right? LeBron James. It works. His routine works for him. But if I asked him, why do you work out? When do you work out? How do you prioritize meals? I can learn about why, and I can approach that, adopt that into my work. Apple does it. Fault question why do you think apple does it that way let's that is a far more fruitful there it is fruitful question to ask and then you can engage in conversation and be much more curious uh with your stakeholders instead of well we're not apple it's never like a satisfying type of question but i never understood that like i'm just gonna copy we're not we're mm-hmm. nothing like them
1: but you mentioned fruitful let's come on to that because i'm interested to know more about this so so tell me about fruitful what is it and kind of what's what's the genesis of it and Where are you with it? Genesis, no.
0: Uh, Where are we with it? It is officially out. It is out for purchase. Uh, You can go right now to appleandbanana.org to to learn more about us. You can go to fruitful.appleandbanana.org. to go straight to the library and toolkit. Genesis started two and a half years ago, early pandemic. The idea actually was born in my time at Facebook. When I was there, I was the only person without a PhD and 10 years of experience. So I very much felt imposter syndrome. And I knew I could have asked anybody, any of my coworkers for help, but I was like, there's this emotional and mental and educational gap. I don't know. I'm worried someone was like, hey, that guy sucks. How did he sneak in? That kind of thinking. Even though I already made it there, right? I passed those hurdles. And I was always looking for a website or a resource that made research very structured. Because if you look at some boot camps or look at some content online, do a method talk to your stakeholders, look at data. And you're like, that's really not helpful. I can't make better decisions. I can't train other people with this content. But on the other side, if you go super deep, academia can be scary, right? Statistical significance, qualitative saturation, sensitivity, Chromebox alpha. You're learning more ideas and you're like, how does this fit to have me figuring out better product design? And it's like, it's super structured. Or it's a four-year program for $30,000 or $40,000 in the US. And I'm like, one side is way too easy do a method, and then, okay, you're done, you're a researcher. If you do a survey, you're a mixed-methods researcher. I'm like, how is that even possible? Other side is too scary. I want something in the middle, something structured, something practical, focused on real ideas, and it teaches me and exposes me to new ideas and research that I might not have been aware of. I could not find it, and in true startup fashion, I was like, you know what? No one told Zuckerberg to go make Facebook. He just did it, right? I'm not saying we made it Facebook, but I like that idea of it's not out there. I will build it, so we ended up building Fruitful. Uh, fruitful. As a resource to help, like educate and energize the next wave of researchers to becoming smart, becoming practical, pragmatic, uh, like faster, iterative type research. That's
1: brilliant. And what's the take up been like so far?
0: It's been good. It's been it's been confusing, <laughs> and it's been good because sometimes you'll get feedback being like, I don't know, like I don't like the way this looks, and I'm like, that that's interesting. That's preferential type feedback, attitudinal. I will record it. The other times people like the navigation doesn't work, but we've been testing navigation. So I'm like, is this an outlier? I don't know if I like that word, but is this is somebody different or deviation from what we saw in our research. Is this good feedback? Is this an emergent problem? Like prevalence? i like, oh my God, this is bigger. So that's been interesting. But overall, positive feedback from a lot of folks. We did conscientiously choose not to do a physical book. And I was really excited. And for two and a half years, I was going on podcasts and being like, oh, my God, Mike, this is going to be a great physical book. It's going to sit on your desk, yada, yada, yada. And after we thought, thought about it critically, it's like there's so many downsides to physical books. And it's like it doesn't evolve. We have a ton of resources in there, things that you can click. We've got guides that you can go ahead, some you can download, some you want to open and maybe like look at multiple times. You can't reuse them in a physical book. Can get dirty. You can get lost. And for us, it's just essentially a website. So if you have internet, you have the book. So and it's it's responsive. So it goes down to your phone, goes to your tablet. I have a giant 150 inch projector. I have tested content on there. No one will ever have a 150 inch projector at work, but it works on that and it looks nice on that too. So it was a conscious decision to focus on utility instead of what people told us they wanted. And I'm like. That was challenging, and that was stressful, and we lost sleep. But now looking at it, like companies are interested. We're talking to other big name companies, which I won't go into here, but they're like, maybe we want this for our team. Maybe we can use this to kind of slingshot us forward in our research culture. Hey, grab and go this. Read one of these two handbooks. Look at this collection. Before or after analysis, it'll help you out. So that's been exciting to see what this can be.
1: Mm, that's great. And I'm interested to know as you're talking – Obviously, as a, you know, as researchers, we're off working with other people's problems, if you like, other you know, organizational mm-hmm. challenges elsewhere. But if it's your own baby, which obviously this is, mm-hmm. how did that impact the way you kind of went about research or design or? Oh my god,
0: it frankly it sucked because I. It's not that I didn't care about products before. It's like I cared at Facebook. I, actually, I didn't really care at Facebook. I was like, I'm going to learn a lot. That's why I went. I was not there that long, but I was. Like, I learned so much. It was really great. I did international research. Best Buy, I was interested in it because I grew up with Best Buy in America. But this is like, I'm the product owner. So I found myself making a lot of stupid mistakes that I've kind of like chastised my stakeholder. like not chastised, but been like, come on, man. And I'm like, why do we do this? They do that. And it's like, I <laughs> it's so hard to like put on, take off my research hat, put on my product hat. So that's been really stressful in a sense, but it's been a great learning moment. We're a small team. And one of my favorite skills that I can use now in any, with any sort of consultancy or any wherever I go next, uh, recognizing what type of problem or what discipline should solve said problem. I am now much better at being like, that's a design problem. We don't necessarily have to research or do marketing or sales or growth or something. This is a design problem. This is a marketing problem. We need to be thinking about distribution, thinking about networks and thinking about how we scale the awareness of who we are, right? Not just features and users and things like that, but how do we get the word out there? So that's been really exciting. I don't think I've ever had that close in some of my past, like that deep in some of my past roles. So that's been really fun to be like, okay, I'm getting better understanding what is the best way forward. And then you get feedback through testing and research, which is what I do. And then we're much more aligned and uniform as
1: a team. That's fascinating. So I guess it's sort of win-win because it's probably also made you more empathetic going forward with kind of further research products oh you do God. externally. Like you say, put the product owner hat on and be able to kind of sit mm-hmm. in their shoes, where as before it's, it's easy to be critical or judgmental.
0: I have much more like uh, empathy for past stakeholders because I'm like you had limited data, you were trying to be relatable, you were trying to, you were not trying to make a worse product or a more unprofitable product. You are trying to like relate with me. And I'm like, maybe my issue is my language around some of the things I've said. Maybe that's what it is. But I'm like, you have incomplete data. So you're trying your best. Like I want to have more empathy moving forward. But now I know moving forward, the next company, I want to provide you more data. I want to maybe work with you on language and also learn your language, co-adopt that. So it's much more of a shared design product culture.
1: Thinking back to those times when you kind of re- re- were recruiting people and managing people and stuff, what skills do you look for in in UX researchers in particular? If you're kind of looking to bring people onto your team,
0: I'm going to take a controversial or like a different approach. I am much more interested now, having gone through and built a product and having gone from big companies. I was an associate research manager before I left Best Buy, so I had some small, I had some direct reports. I am much more interested in junior researchers than I am in senior researchers for a big reason. They're much more, not in a bad way, much more moldable. They're much more um, like craftable. They're much more energized in a different way because everything is new. And I'm like, I like that. Senior researchers are great. If you have a tough problem, throw them at the problem. If it's hairy and ambiguous, yeah. But there's a ton of tactical questions that stakeholders have, a tactical research question sends tactical answers which then makes 50 more tactical questions that someone now has to clear up and I'm like a junior researcher can do that and still find development in the craft still know they're directly impacting the product that hundreds of thousands millions of people's, peoples use they can approach different problems in qualitative quantitative different situations so I'm like I am more interested right now and prefer like fulfilling and progressing junior researchers so curiosity comes to mind but when I say curiosity not just like what is the world like? That's too generic. Like I'm looking for structured, empathetic, and human and related curiosity. Not do our users like blue dinosaurs. That's that's curious. I'm interested. That's interesting. Is that going to change anything about the homepage? No, right. So be structured. Be relevant in your curiosity. The other thing is also thinking. Like, and displaying that thinking thinking through either audio or video or, like, written composition. A lot of researchers, especially junior, I did a method, I did a thing, I did this, I did that. And I'm like, what happened in between? That's where this part get this craft gets real. It gets messy. You talk to eight people. Why? How many people did you contact to get eight? What happened when eight didn't show up? How did you amend session one versus session eight, right? You can change in a qualitative study. It doesn't always have to be the same. You can go deeper. And I also want to say is like, they don't necessarily, a lot of people don't talk about collaboration. I did this. I did that. I saw this. We did this. It's never a product in a vacuum. So structure, curiosity, be very good at explaining your thinking, all the messy parts in between that you think nobody cares about. As a research hiring manager, yeah, that's where this craft gets real. Then at the end, being able to talk about collaboration. We did this. I wasn't able to find said data. So I work with a financial analyst to narrow down which market to visit for whatever the heck. So I would say those three. And then also at the end, I don't like the word culture fit because I think there's no culture out there that's like, we are mean here. So if you're mean, you're going to fit right in. It's like, everybody's pretty nice. There's laws here. We can't be harassing people at work. So I would argue not necessarily culture fit, but the vision of the company. Do you care about what's actually happening here? If you don't care, I do not care about Facebook succeeding. I like their mission. I don't know. I think Facebook was a company to do what they were trying to do. I, I knew my time there. I was like, I'm not going to be here for that long. I'm not that excited about this. It's a great learning opportunity. But with Apple Banana, 100% invested in energizing and motivating the next wave of researchers. I'm going to be here thick and thin. And so think about that as well. I definitely think about that like vision and alignment.
1: Mm. Yeah, lots of good points to ponder there. I also wonder whether the, you're talking about kind of young, more junior, potentially younger researchers as well. This discipline is evolving so fast. I find mm-hmm. kind of the longer you're in it, the harder it is to keep up with all of the kind of new developments. It's easy to become not stale, but you kind of fall back on your tried and t- tested methods. And you're like, oh, yeah, we can do this mm-hmm. or I use this particular tool. But to kind of keep fresh and keep innovating in your own practice and learning from others, that that takes energy and, and dedication doesn't it and uh mm-hmm. yeah that, that that's interesting
0: the junior researcher i think that itself is a podcast <laughs> that needs yeah. to be had and just like what is it it's not about age because that's ageism it can't be about education because there's if you think only research will be done by phds the world will progress so slowly yeah yep. and you're just saying only the highest knights get to do great research it's like no a lot of people are doing building crappy products that maybe are impactful in a negative way, maybe not harmful, but negative at least, why can't they do smart research? And I'm saying it's like the junior researcher, Like there's gonna be a huge gap between all these senior folks who keep getting more and more years of experience and the folks who don't even get one year. And there's just like gap of like, there isn't gonna be nobody in eventually in a couple years, nobody or very few people with two years experience, four years experience, but there's gonna be a ton of people at 15 or whatever and a bunch of people with less than one, and I'm like, it just gap has to be closed. It's someone, something has to be done. So, frufo can help in that way, and other people are hiring more. But
1: yeah. And just to play devil's advocate for a minute, there's because the UX is this kind of well, gold rush, I suppose one could term it in, in in some ways. Lots of people want to get into it. It's you know, it's it's deemed to be quite you know sexy in some ways. It's interesting. It's a growth area. You know, the, the mm-hmm. kind of remuneration is acknowledged to be fairly good. But I've worked with some, you know, lots and lots of very great folks. And I've also seen and come across some who are not so good. And they're obviously mm-hmm. diluting the value of it for the rest of us. So it's that, you know, h- how you keep quality standards up and ensure that people don't keep being promoted out of current jobs just to keep them moving away from where they are at the moment.
0: I would argue it's like it's the boot camps. That's my big issue. And then maybe also, even controversial opinion, maybe even you Neilson know, Norman group, how one group of folks can yeah. position themselves as the leader in research. What does that mean to be elite, like the God of research? Does that, was yeah. that right? Yeah. And like, I'm like, they've done good stuff, but some of their courses, 10 grand or five grand for two hours, and I'm like, that positions UX as a very different medium. And then the other side, it's a bootcamp, 18 weeks, $30,000, all of it is online, all of it is self-directed. If you pay, you will complete it. They're not gonna tell you that, but that is what happens because they need to make money. And they tell you, Mike, well, 3x your salary. You'll get to Google tomorrow for a senior position. And it's like, that is not going to be happening. So I agree with you. There's a lot of people being told you're amazing. You can do research and design. And I think about that every time. I'm like, research and design are two completely separate disciplines. You can't do both effectively in 18 weeks. Like, it just doesn't make sense and expect to be good. So I'm like, I think boot camps and a lot of like recycled stuff on Medium. Here's the thing about methods. Here's what I did. I redesigned Netflix. No offense, you will, who cares? No one cares if you redesign Netflix on your own. You will never get that opportunity even at Netflix. Someone wants to redesign the back button. There's gonna be 10 people involved in that decision at Netflix, right? And it's like, it, I just think there's a lot of like garbage content being recycled over and over. And that also has led us to be like, let's be more authentic, let's be much more practical and real about like statistics matters, right? But you can do a lot of. Extrapolation of data through descriptive statistics. You don't necessarily have to turn on R or Python. You can still learn a ton and still add value. We cover that in Fruitful. And a lot of people are like, "You got to go back to school for this." Some, yes, but other stuff. If you practice and apply, you can get good. You can start to like position yourself. I'm not just doing interviews. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at different things, behavior analytics, and then wow, we really like we really like Mike. They challenge the way, and they make us feel more confident when we're building. So boot camps. Big, not a big fan. comes
1: down, right? No, yeah. What do you love, Varun, about what you do? I kind of discovery. Go on.
0: Curiosity. Sorry, you, I, you said it. My brain responded before, like my mouth did. Discovery, curiosity. One of the favorite, my favorite things, especially with a hairy, ambiguous problem. Uh, clarity. Wow we understand what even the problem is now. That is such a huge issue for most companies. It should be blues, things are going down. we should make it bigger, we should do this. What is the problem? Can someone explicitly tell me and I run this like not a workshop but like with sta- startups I work with, what is the problem? Define it clearly in human terms. And when I say human, I mean the person that you're trying to support. That person's terms, not we're looking for a B2B marketing SaaS return. No. I can't get my marketing page to work, right? That's a human type problem. Like, think about that. Number two, look at existence proof. How do you know this problem exists? You have conceptualized or codified this as a problem that you care about. Does it exist for the people that you're trying to support? And the third one that they always kind of people flop on, what is the prevalence and scale of said problem? If it exists, your next question is, if it's N equals one, then it's, is it N equals 10,000 or 10 million? Or is it a hundred people but have this problem 10 times a day, right? So what is the prevalence and scale? And the third thing, the fourth question is, does your solution explicitly address that problem? That one always trips people up. They're like, yeah, it does, it's got features. Uh -uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. The problem at the top, the human problem wasn't about a feature. Hey, this product doesn't have enough features. No one is ever going to say that. This thing doesn't work when I need it to. It's unreliable. I'm in the field. It drops connectivity. It's it's unreliable. Does your solution provide a reliable set of features or whatever the heck to solve that problem? No. You got to go back. You got to re- reassess it. And it's like structured thinking, very basic questions. i found that if you use simple language, people want to do research. And people are already doing research. Where should I shop? Where should I buy pants? What's a good place to eat? You're doing some sort of decision analysis. You're looking at options, maybe you're ranking them, maybe you're coding them, whatever, in an Excel spreadsheet. You're already doing it. I'm just going to reframe your lane lens to looking at the problem that we're working on here. Very simple questions, couple people, not a big budget. I had this meeting at Best Buy and it was gonna be a multi-phase study and i told them i said i need to pull budget for this because we're going to be doing multiple phases we're gonna be doing interviews and surveys and you know, card sorting and testing and whatever and they're like okay we're going to get you in a seat room a room with the financial director and with the vps of finance because we're gonna make sure we're going to fund it right and i came in and they're like okay we're ready to hear about the plan and look at the budget if it's above x amount we're gonna have to trigger other things And i was like I probably need like like three grand for three months they're like. That's nowhere near what we're expecting. And then at the end of that summer, it was amazing research. People are still using that deck, and they're excited about those insights. So it's not really about money in that sense. Um, but it was—it was like a—it was a very fun experience because they were like, "We're expecting like thirty thousand dollars. Why? We're not paying people ten grand an interview." <laughs>
1: Well, do, do you know cynically why that is? I think it's, well, it, to a certain extent, because I've seen it myself, where you have the, the big external consultancies who shall remain nameless, but there's the big four or the big five <laughs> here in the UK. Right. And they always come in in shiny suits and charge huge amounts of money for kind of insights. And And they've, I think they've created this expectation in big business that you have to pay a lot of money to get insights. And it's kind of like, no, you and I know that you can do that stuff. I mean like recently I'm a big fan of guerrilla research I was wandering around an airport I was wandering mm-hmm. around a railway station with a clipboard just talking to people who are prepared to chat to me and yeah, you know cost nothing bit of time mm-hmm. but it was really valuable stuff we got
0: Yeah I just like the large amounts all I would say all I can think about is like you value spending a lot of money because you think more money spent more money spent Rises like monotonically to like better confidence, better results, the word of truth, the word of God. It's like, no, your goal is what? With research. And I, and I discuss it with stakeholders, especially new teams. Research is simply the, process, the structured process of learning together. That is it. That is all I'm going to facilitate. Us learning together in a structured, logical way about the people that we are trying to support. I on the problems that we care about. That is all it is. If you simplify every time, get to the core variables, that's it. Us learning together. Who doesn't like learning? You don't like stories? You don't like data? You don't like learning different ideas? You don't like seeing the world differently? Everyone's like, wait, wait, wait. That sounds fun. And you're not saying, I need 300 grand for that? No, I need like 30 hours, three weeks. Let's do this. And people are like, I'm jazzed up. I have found if you do it right, the first study is the toughest one to get started. But if you do it right in collaboration, the next study, you're going to have to be like, whoa, 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 let's slow down. (laughs) We can't research everything, nor should we. Let's be structured moving forward. But these consultants are making it big. And I think they all are also discrediting the service because you got boot camps on one side, and then you got the big consultancies like, we need 100 grand to do a usability test. It's like, no, there's so much in between.
1: Well, that's why, yeah, people like us and, and, and fruitful is, it sounds like it's trying to kind of cover that, that, that difference. But uh, it sounds great. I'm looking forward to having a look at it myself. So, uh, um, last thing before I let you go. Uh, three-card challenge, as I ask everybody. So we've got technique, tool, and trends. And we've got queen of diamonds, ace of hearts, and jack of spades. So pick your card, Vern. Is that an ace? I'll go with the ace. The, ace of, the, ace. the ace of hearts is a tool. So is a favorite tool. And uh, I suspect I know what tool you're going to say, but uh, what, what's, your, what's your favorite tool?
0: Now, now I'm curious to know what tool you think I want to say. It's not gonna be fruitful, because that seems a little too on the nose.
1: Well, I was I was gonna say, is it that I was gonna say you should be banned from saying <laughs> fruitful, but uh no but, but in all seriousness, a kind of tool, your go to tool, something that I mean, you know, there's a whole grab bag of stuff we use, but uh in a typical day Honestly, if- well,
0: if I have to say, like, my go to, I'll probably say Microsoft Excel. It works in pretty much any sort of computer, any place I've been. It's there. I can customize it for interviews. I can look at it for survey design. I can set up card sorting in there. I can look at usability testing data. I can do quick visualizations if I can't get R out or something else. Like, I would Excel is, I believe, the most popular programming language in the world. It's just not positioned as programming, even though it's 100% manipulation of data. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would say Excel. Excel, it just works. It's not sexy at it's all. Not
1: sexy, <laughs> but it
0: does work. My stakeholders understand what they're going to see when I send them something. So I would say Excel, keep it simple.
1: And everyone in the world pretty much has got it on their computer. So uh,
0: yeah. everybody, even though they hate it, but they have.
1: <laughs> Although I'm more of a Google Sheets user myself, I haven't used Excel for ages. See? But uh...
0: Google Sheets, might always one of those. Yeah.
1: Right next. Okay, one. we'll go with the Queen of Hearts. So the Queen of is trend. trend. So tell me about uh, a trend you see in UX, good or bad.
0: I'm going to go bad. This democratization of research. I used to be a big fan and then I started this, like digging deeper post-book. I keep hearing it and I'm like, who asked for this? <laughs> Did a stakeholder ask for this? Did a researcher ask for this? Did a research ops, a designer? Who asked for this? I don't understand backend engineering as well as I should, but I'm never going to be like, you should democratize and play to my level. And it's like, no, this person went to maybe school for this, maybe a master's, whatever. They worked at companies. I don't necessarily need to know everything. I would love to be included in the process so I understand what's happening. But I don't need to be able to go write my own back-end code. So I'm like, democratization research is like, all that does to me is dilute the craft and the necessary attention to detail. That comes with this, this UX research, user research, experience research, what do you want to call it? i like, democratizing I'm just like, there's a lot of research problems out there and more people should do research. So I'm like, why don't we just democratize research type thinking? Critical, looking at representation, validity, reliability, things like that. That to me is way better research thinking, not just design thinking, but democratizing research. I don't need my VP of research, stakeholder of marketing, whatever, to do his own research, nor do they have the time, nor do they have maybe the necessary skill set to do it well. So I'm like, democratizing research, mm. I love to hear what you think.
1: No, I agree. And speaking candidly, I, I, I hope they don't have the necessary skill set because, you know, we, I believe the likes of you and me, you know, do have that skill set and we bring value to organizations. And uh, I wouldn't dream to kind of pop the hood of a products you know, from a code point of view and start trying to kind of redo the uh, the, the back end. I mean, I, I don't know enough about it to start with, but.
0: Uh... I would love to hear that email, get that email from you. Hey, this is Mike. I had a little free time on Friday, so I hop- I've i been messing around with the API. Why, why, why is that a good Yeah.
1: So the last one is the jack of spades, Varun, and this is a technique. So tell me about your go-to technique. Can I
0: expand this question to what I would say are the three most scalable research techniques? I would say, and this is especially for the folks on LinkedIn and like boot camps to talk about methods, 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 and like, who cares about methods? You don't even understand the problem. Who cares if you have more knives? You don't even know what you're going to cook, that type of thinking. I would say interviews, surveys, and usability testing, Then 99% of the situations you find yourself in, you can cover and answer them. They're scalable. I can interview one person. I can set myself up to interview maybe 30. I can survey within the product. I can do a micro survey. I can sample 100,000 people. Usability testing, I can go all the way down to much more qualitative concept testing. I can go up to benchmark testing and longitudinal and experimental design. So if you can do interviews, surveys, usability testing well, and you reach for those 99% of the time, and I'll put, I'm not a betting man, I'm not going to put any money, but I would argue those three would not only solve and address the problem, they will also be very explainable to your stakeholders. That's another thing. If you're doing something complex, like eye tracking and heat mapping, you'll have to explain what the heck that is. Interviews, Mike, I'm going to talk to some folks. Surveys, we're going to ask some questions, they're going to respond. Testing, we're going to put in front of people, see what they say. Every stakeholder is like, okay, I can understand that. So conceptually, it's very easy to explain. So those three I would have used and I would argue, this is another hot take. A lot of people are interested in new methods and all I can think is, you haven't even covered these three. I see issues and flaws with how you structure this and how you don't think about parallel time and maybe cognitive testing your surveys or member checking qualitative findings and building rapport more effectively. I'm like, you don't have these three down and you want to add nine, 10, 11, 12. And I'm like, Uh, that makes me nervous. Maybe, especially from a hiring perspective, maybe I'm not interested in you as a candidate as I originally was. I just want to put that out there.
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. No, I like that. I like that. I think you're spot on. Um, We're coming to the end of our time. So I just wanted to say really a big, big thank you Vera. I've really enjoyed our chat and, uh, it's been great to have you on Are there any kind of any last final tips thoughts
0: uh last tip uh you can do this no one was born with research skill set there's no superhero gene there's nothing magical in the water here than anywhere else no Uh, i think anyone can be a great researcher i think time and practice dedication to craft helps um fruitful is officially out so you can go ahead and pick that up we are also what we've done with another thing you can't do a book We've, we're going to be adding more content. So we've got a release schedule every 90 days for the next year. We'll be adding more handbooks, more tactical guides. We'll be making updates. We want search to be in there. We want maybe a glossary. What does that look like? We're testing with researchers as they're reading and building, which is super cool. So if you want to get involved, feel free to pick up Proofo. Uh We'll be open there. I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn.
1: Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast. And special thanks to my guest, Varun Muruguesen. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Links are in the show notes. Join me next time when I'll be talking to another user experience professional and asking them to share their wisdom, tips and knowledge with me. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centered.